Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy. I'm your host. Thank you as always. Tuning in on Apple Podcasts, App, Spotify, where you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. We got the NBA Outsiders here. The NBA season is over. It feels like it, it went on like for forever, and that's because it did actually. But all in all, a season that uh, it got the job done. And I think it scratched all of our basketball needs, more or less. A little bit anticlimactic with the finals, but we're going to get into all that with the NBA Outsiders right now, first and foremost. John Lucas Duffy, what up? Hear that, Frank? I'm foremost. First and foremost, baby. What's up? We've been through this before. Yeah, been before. I don't but, even want to say I know. I just like bringing it up. <laughs> first is the worst, dude. First is the worst, bro. <laughs> Frank Villani, what's up, man? What's going on, P? How you doing, brother? And now I feel obligated to say, last but not least, Kyle Anderson. What's going on, everybody? What's up? You know, it uh, it feels good to be here. It, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just me. I feel like now we're sitting here on this pod, and I could like sit back and relax, and we can kind of just have a, like a real conversation, which is what we do all the time, right? Like we always, you know, shoot from the hip. We obviously have our little plan of what we're gonna talk about. As I whack my mic arm over here, uh, but today specifically now, now that it's over, now that the bubble happened. Uh, we were all basketballed out, I think, and we'll talk about all that stuff. It was a lot, bro. It was 90 days straight, basically, of basketball, more intense, more jam-packed into a schedule than we're, we're accustomed to, and we're usually people who can't get enough basketball, and we're watching, you know, Pistons-Kings late night in Sacramento on NBA League Pass texting about it. Like, that's sometimes the level. Not obviously every single night. That would be crazy. But we do, we literally do some crazy stuff like that. That's how much basketball we want. I think I could speak for all of us. There was a point now after the 90-day bubble where I was like, oh, you know what? It's kind of relieving that it's over. And and we're going to talk about the specifics of, of the series and LeBron and legacy. But did you guys share that sentiment? Can I, can I you know, feel good saying saying that for all of us? Yeah, it was just a lot. And it was awesome in the summer while there was there was literally no other sports going on. And it was just incredible for for basketball to have that stage. And it was super impressive what they accomplished. But it was just kind of on the sports calendar. It just kind of felt off. And once football rolled around, people were ready so much, so so ready to, to jump ship over to the NFL and leave the NBA in the dust. But I stayed loyal to the NBA, as I always will. Mm. Yeah, and I'm not, yeah, exactly. I'm not saying like we... We weren't watching, but I felt I felt a little less spark. Kyle, what were you thinking? No, it was it was definitely cool to watch basketball initially. Obviously, we the quarantine was was rough, sitting around for you know essentially three four months of no action. You know, I remember when the basketball tournament just started up, the two million dollar win it all tournament. I was super excited. And, you know, it was like, oh, this is this is awesome. Finally, some some action. And then once we got the NBA back, it was great because we had games on every day and sometimes four times in one day. But 
once we get to the end of the season and we have games literally every night and we're anticipating and you're so emotionally invested, you're right, Pete. It's just like, oh, you can finally take a, a deep breath and just appreciate the season, appreciate the bubble and understand that we're kind of witness history in a sense, but now it's finally kind of over. You know. Kind of emotionally, emotionally exhausted after watching mm-hmm. everything. You said, like you said, you're so invested. Yeah, and there were crazy storylines too. Like, remember Dame Lillard and Devin Booker going off? Yep. That feels like a year ago, bro. That feels like, like last, last season. Year. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, the storylines were awesome. I don't want this to even sound like negative in the sense that we didn't enjoy it. this. This shit was awesome. The NBA, yeah. kudos, bro. Like, I'm clapping right now. No positive COVID test. Amazing. Pretty much an amazing product from start to finish. You know, you can argue that from uh, a certain point in the finals, we knew what the outcome was. The intrigue left a little bit. But all in all, incredible job by the NBA here. Incredible job. Yeah, and yeah. it's very impressive how they were able to, you know, like really spearhead bringing sports back and – doing in a way that really didn't diminish the quality. I, I actually think we saw some of the ba- best basketball we've seen in a little while. Um, as odd as that is to say, not to say that, you know, basketball is bad ever, but it does seem sometimes like regular season games didn't matter as much as fans necessarily wanted them to. Um, but even like the eight game stretch before the playoffs began, it was, relatively really really competitive each of those games and like it like i said like the non-diminished product was was very impressive to me because i did think that it would suffer some setbacks but um i mean dude think to what kyle said like a couple of months there it got really hairy like i'm pretty sure espn was like airing cornhole like prime time hey hey don't sleep on cornhole. That's exhilarating. That's exhilarating. Content. I mean, like, in my backyard, I'll have a great time. I'll play it. I'll watch I'm it. I'm with you, Frank. I'll drink some beers. But, like, when you start putting it prime time on a Monday night, like, you're kind of losing me. <laughs> so, <clears throat> it definitely was a light, uh, so to say, at the end of the tunnel. It was very nice to have it back. And, I mean, I definitely echo the sentiment. It kind of... It ran the emotions so raw. We kind of need mm. a little break now. So we've been through a lot. <laughs> yeah, we really have been, man. It's funny to say, like, we were having conversations about the all bubble team before the playoffs started. And that's, I feel like in our heads, we were so excited, so cavalier that uh, basketball was back. We forgot how long the playoffs were. Yeah. And then football was the icing on the cake for me. Ba- baseball, obviously, you know, the Mets didn't make it for me specifically. So it's not like I was completely locked into baseball but even for Yankee fans and baseball fans in general it's like yo I'm locked into baseball oh I gotta watch the finals oh shit Monday Night Football oh the finals are on a Sunday now like it was a lot it was overload I I didn't know what to talk about on the podcast uh but all in all incredible stuff we'll we'll talk about some of the different things and we'll recap and we'll talk about the actual finals and I think part of the reason you know if that finals was like peak emotion the whole time like say you know, Bam never gets hurt, Goran never gets hurt, and the Heat win, you know, two, maybe maybe they win game one and two, or they, they win game two, and, and it's a little closer the whole time. Who knows if we're having this exact conversation, but I think in general, you know, 
it feels good to be able to turn the page now. And now we can look at the draft in a little while, free agency in a little while, filling coaches up, um, you know, the empty coaching spots, and, you know, regroup and see when this new season's even going to start. Because we don't even know when the next season's going to start yet. Uh, but to put a bow on it, let's start Let's start talking about the finals, right? Like, we can talk about the bubble stuff as we go, and we'll talk about, you know, the coverage and, and, and things like that as well. But in regards to the finals, is there a, an angle here? It's kind of how I've been feeling lately. We were just refusing to believe what was in front of our face this entire time, that LeBron and Anthony Davis, when it comes down to it, are the absolute best duo in basketball, perhaps one of the best duos since Shaq and Kobe, if not the best duo. And we were kind of just refusing to believe that it almost, not that it didn't matter because the other pieces really did come together, but it almost didn't matter because those two guys were on the Lakers. It, it, was it that clear in front of us, or is that just hindsight being 2020? I think hindsight. Because if you had LA, battle for LA, would have changed everything, I think, in the Western Conference. Yeah, I agree. I think it's hindsight as well. Um I think if you look at the regular season before it stopped and before the bubble happened, like a lot of people were still heavy favoriting the Clippers and, you know, people were really questioning whether the Lakers were real or not. So, I mean, obviously hindsight is 2020 and we obviously see now that they probably were the best team um, start to finish. And I know we, we were talking about a couple of stats, but there is one I saw, um, they were 57 and 0 when going into the fourth quarter with the lead. Crazy. Which is something I didn't know pre bubble. Like, if you had told me that during the regular season, maybe my opinion of the Lakers would have changed. But yeah, I definitely didn't have them, you know, as my walking NBA to champion. it. Right. Yeah, I didn't have them as my NBA champion. And, and I mean, obviously, people say now it was an easier one for LeBron, but. Uh, I definitely did not see that pre-bubble. Right, and easy, easy in the eye of the beholder, right? Because in, in ways, a lot of people are, you know, understanding that the bubble was crazy stressful. Like, hearing Jared Dudley talk about it on the Bill Simmons podcast about what it was actually like being in there and not being able to, like, really do stuff or be feel normal, be in the same hotel as your competitors. They were in the same hotel as the Clippers, as the Heat, as the Celtics. They are like, we played, uh, I think it was, was it the Nuggets, that one game they played, and that their buses got back to the hotel at the same time. Like, imagine imagine that. Like, you know, conference finals, you play a crazy intense game, which the intensity was real high, and then you, you pull up to the hotel and you walk out and there's Jokic, you know, the guy you just competed against for 40 minutes. It's kind of it's wild. So, like, the mental stress is obviously accepted. And, and to say it's, like, a harder finals than normal, you know, I'll, I'll accept it. But to say it's, like... Uh, an asterisk and doesn't deserve love, I won't accept that. You know what I mean? So I think I think all things considered, we understand that if this was a, a legit, legit finals to win. This championship is not to be discounted by one single mean. Uh, but to say it's like the hardest ever is also probably a little crazy. So yeah, I guess trying to combine hindsight with, you know, what we thought then, it's pretty fair to say maybe uh, it wasn't so simple because there were a lot of questions about the rest of this Lakers team, and they really pulled together. I mean, from from Rondo to Dwight Howard to KCP, bro. Like, this Lakers team all of a sudden was, like, super solid throughout, and it's not something we would have said about them uh, three months ago. Yeah. I feel I feel like I got to eat crow on the KCP stuff because 
He was better in the regular season this year. He was dicey in the playoffs for the most part, but he had some really timely shot making, uh, shot making in the finals. And also not only shot making, but playmaking, attacking the rim, finding shooters. I think there was a game where he had like five or six assists. And just, and just, just seemed confident, no? Like just seemed yeah. real confident. Yeah, I think like, and I think LeBron has a lot to do with that. His leadership and the way he empowers a lot of players. Another thing Dudley said on the pod was in the beginning of the season how the team was trying to force feed Anthony Davis so that he felt comfortable that he was on the same level as LeBron and that this was not at all any kind of ego trip between the two of them. It was more of a big brother, little brother relationship, and that's a healthy way to go about it. I think the fact that LeBron had some years on AD and certainly much more success put him in the mental position to defer to LeBron, maybe too, too, too much to his detriment, but it, it created a, a clearer hierarchy of who is supposed to be the emotional leader of the team, the mental leader of the team. And then they were kind of co uh, like, you know, physical, you know, actually in game shots, playmaking you know who's got the ball they were they were equals in that department which i think was tremendously important that they found that that balance in their relationship that was really the foundation for the entire team is that those two stars who were basically the whole team surrounded by a bunch of role players found their balance and everyone else fell in line behind them because there was no questions about you know whose team is this all the stuff we talk about between like ben simmons joel Embiid, or chris paul and harden or any any of that nonsense, you know? They they didn't have any of that. They were able to lock in and compete all on the same page. Yeah. I think you – go ahead, I Frank. Just, okay. Yeah, it's one quick point, uh, kind of reaching back um, to the point about the Lakers, like, being a favorite. I think one of the most popular opinions, like, pre-bubble playoffs, like, right before they started, was that the, the Trailblazers were going to take them to seven and that they were, like, this matchup nightmare for them. That's true. And they kind of – Kind of just womp them, so yeah. I just I also wanted to throw that in there. Right, and Dame got hurt, but still, it wasn't close. It wasn't close. Never thought the Blazers had a chance to win. I was just hoping to get like multiple Dame forty point games. Yeah, but Sorry. I do. I I think you're like I I I definitely think that that was like a commonplace kind of thought that people thought like specifically the matchup like the late oh the Lakers don't have the front court or the back court or whatever it is like the the guards to deal with Dame and. And the, and CJ and this and that and then it just kind of like it played out and it was like yo it don't matter <laughs> they got LeBron and AD bro so yeah I just- I, I I definitely agree with you Frank because you know if you think about LeBron's um obviously production on the court he was terrific like like every other pretty much every other finals he delivers and he balls out but I think. He gets credit, and I think Frank Vogel gets credit for being able to balance all those different characters on that team. You know, with Rondo, who's always had kind of issues with head coaches. Uh, J.R. Smith is on the team. Deion Waiters is on the team. Dwight Howard is on the team. Um, Obviously, LeBron and AD trying to balance that out. A lot of guys that could be asking a lot of the coach or possibly looking to be on the floor just in general and for him to, you know, figure out rotations, probably lean on his staff to, um, you know, really figure out 
whose role is what, who can, uh, you know, who can give us production in, in certain spots. Like I think his, his way to lean on Rondo in this series, like if there wasn't a third MVP, I guess if you can give it besides LeBron and AD, I'll give it to Rondo because his, his stats, you know, may not show it, but his leadership and the way that he created plays for everyone was ridiculous for this, for this series. Cause now LeBron doesn't, his minutes weren't as extensive as years past where he's had to be on the floor almost every single minute. You know, now LeBron, now it's Rondo and AD. And I think their relationship from the Pelicans helped them a lot because now he's, they, they have, you know, chemistry before. Now they're able to run pick and roll or they know where everyone is going to be. Well, at least each other. And they're now Rondo knows what AD wants and now he knows what he wants. So, all right, I'm going to mani- manipulate the defense to possibly set up AD or I can kick it to, you know, KCP in the corner or I can kick it to Caruso and let him spin. So it was, I think Frank Vogel and LeBron definitely get a lot of credit because they, they had so many things to orchestrate to make everybody comfortable in, right. you know, in the bubble. And I think and- that Pelicans point is tremendous because I, I totally forgot about that for most of the series. And because uh, it's just in Rondo's nature to make everyone around him better. That's just what he is constantly thinking about. Kind of like Steve Nash in the in that way where Nash was kind of selfless to a fault where Rondo is not a, a super, you know, scoring talent. Like he's not, he's not a scoring guard, you know, he's, he's always trying to maximize the talent he has around him and he's so good at it. And even later in the series, like game five and game six, Rondo realized that when he was driving, they were playing him to pass and there were wide open layups for him if he just took them, which he did. And he was mm-hmm. on top of that, he shot 40% from three for the playoffs, which is yeah. insane. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say that. If he can keep that sh- that shooting going and he can extend his career so far because he's 33 and I, I believe he's 33 and um, he he's mentally, he's still there. Physically, he's still there. And uh, I, I think he can, they can keep him around for a few, few more years. And I want to shout out uh, Caruso and Kuzma for one specific thing that the both of them seem to do where you would watch them make some type of mistake on offense or defense. And I'm not a Kuzma guy. So I'd watch him make these mistakes. I'm like, man, he's killing him. I don't trust him ever. And then it was, it seemed like every time the next play, he would go down the court and like hit a big three after he blew a defensive assignment or he blow def- or, uh, or he'd miss a shot and then get a steal or a block. Um, and Caruso would kind of do the same thing, like give up a steal had the chase down block on James Harden, like think stuff like that, where the next play they're, they're immediately kind of atoning for their basketball sins. And someone who, who often does that is like uh Marcus smart. And it drives you crazy when he just pulls up for a 25 footer and it makes no sense. And then all of a sudden he's ripping the ball from the guard, picking up full court, and then he's got a layup and mm-hmm. stuff like that. The, those in-between plays that you don't, that, that aren't really going to make the highlight real, but you realize how you might have given up three points, but you're gonna, you get those three points back. You know, you make up for your mistakes. And they each player had confidence in each other to kind of do the right thing. It's so important to have trust and have chemistry, like you said, Kyle. Right. And, and, and it's just like an effort thing there too, right? If Kuzma messes up, if he's, you know, lugging down the court after that or slugging down the court, it's like, all right, dude, you don't have the right. Like, you haven't earned the right in the league to, you know, be upset for making a mistake. You have to make up everything or else you're going to lose minutes. And it seemed like they had that understanding 
And even like things like crashing the offensive glass, like Caruso comes to mind. He's one of those guards who can can give you like two possessions a game, and, and they seem to make a big difference because he gave an extra effort. And Kuzma was doing some of the same stuff. And, and quick on Rondo, nine, uh, four and a half, and six and a half for the playoffs. And you already mentioned the forty percent shooting from three on three attempts a game, which is no joke for Rondo. Three attempts a game, like. It's just something that you didn't expect. It's probably a career high. It might be. And and you know what? With Rondo, we've talked about it probably more than we even wanted to over the past, like, what, three or four seasons with the Mavericks, uh, you know, complaining a lot. With the Kings, like, why does he want to be there? And then with the Pelicans, oh, it kind of worked out. With the Bulls, oh, playoff Rondo. And I think he falls into that category of guy where we, you know, come on the pod or we talk in the chat and get upset with a dude because we know – what the good looks like, right? When it when it is Kuzma right now, we're not expecting the good. We don't know what the great looks like from Kuzma. So we see a mistake and we're like, all right, you better at least try hard because other than that, what are you doing? But Rondo, when he's not performing the way we expect him to be or what he could be doing, it's like, bro, you're just being a pain in the ass. Like, what's going on here? You know, we hear you're the savant. We hear that, you know, uh, players are enamored with your smarts all the time. Like, why is it not proving out or why is your smarts not leading to self-awareness like that that's kind of like the frustrating balance with Rondo and maybe it's because the pecking order was so clear with LeBron and when Rondo was in Sacramento he's like you know screw this I am smarter and better than all you like y'all should listen to me maybe this was just it for him and this is now a point in his career where he could be a amazing off the bench guard or a real solid starter on the right team where he doesn't get relied on to you know, assist 12 uh, shots a game. And, and yeah, dude, it's, he, it's just that balance. And, and quick, dude, he, he had an interview um, at the end of the finals, like right after the finals. And he was kind of mentioned, he was like, I've always wanted to play with LeBron. And just knowing I was, he kind of said to himself, like if our, you know, if we were on the same team, like our minds together, there was, no way a team would beat us in seven games, you know, just because he's thinking like, Oh dude, like uh, we're going to outsmart every team as it is. And then we're going to, obviously I have LeBron. So having LeBron, um, you know, I think as the highest in the pecking order and knowing that probably LeBron respected Rondo's mind after playing him for years, you know, in the Easter conference, they probably had a mutual respect for each other. And that's why you don't really, you didn't really see them uh, clashing too much, you know? And I, I think that's definitely credit to, like I said, LeBron and Rondo for kind of in a sense, maturing in years past, he was pretty, con- you know, conflictual and uh, starting pretty much problems are always in the media for, for negative things. And it looks like he's taking a step in the next direction. And I just want to credit um, Caruso, like you said, Duff, because there were nights when he, he was off, but he brought so much energy that there were a lot of plays where he would be sprinting back on defense and he was the two-on-one guy in between and he would you know get in the passing lane and close out to a shooter. They would use that opportunity as a way to recover on defense. And even though it's kind of a, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but those kind of plays that you get from your bench are, are crucial to your, to your team's momentum. It's, it kills a drive. It kills 
a potential, you know, just easy three. So Caruso just did a great job of just pretty much busting his ass and and working working as hard as he could when his offense wasn't there or his you know say his defense wasn't there but he was always just constantly in a play making plays so and shout out anthony davis kyle shout out anthony davis for for yeah, the dude, split i'll shout him out shout yeah him dude yeah look um someone mentioned it on i think the day after on espn i i want to give him credit obviously but i don't remember his name and they he said Anthony Davis shot 50, 40, 90. And I, I like my jaw dropped. I was driving to work. I couldn't believe it. He shot. I looked it up on NBA.com and I did the last six games. I, I averaged it myself because I wanted to know it was for real. 57% from the field, 48% from three, and 95% from the free throw line. And I, I'm going to say, I'm going to go on a limb Crazy. and say that that's probably the best numbers of a five probably in NBA finals history, at least on the line. I'm gonna Best percentage splits. Right. Percentage splits probably ever, you know, I and agree. I, I know someone, someone's probably going to look that up and it's probably going to be on Bleacher Report or, in, or probably ESPN. Dolph Shays in 1956. Yeah. Some, some dude <laughs> that no one has ever heard of before, or maybe it's Bill Russell. But George, Bill George Russell. Mike and... No, they had no three. They had they no had three. No three. <laughs> no, true. They had no three. So, dude, this this is the best split by far. Bro, it might so, be not Russell even just never, by a big, bro. I don't, I don't think a little even shot that high. At least somebody with, like, that much volume. Like, sure, maybe Steve Kerr shot some crazy splits in the finals, but he was taking, like, six shots a game. And for for one game, he actually didn't take a three. For So, technically, only I only had five numbers to write down and average out. So one game, he actually he probably could have been in the fifties for his three point range if he possibly just took one, or the thirties if he took several and missed. Correct. Correct. But, what do you do? We can no, only talk no, about what no, happened. Now what could have happened? That's math. Exactly. For <laughs> math for you. There you go. Uh, quick story about Rondo, and then we're gonna move on to uh, the Heat uh, angle of this finals. So I was in a, I happened to be in a Zoom call with Doc Rivers when he was announced as the. Um, the head coach of the the Sixers. You happen to be, happen to be that moseyed on over, <laughs> and uh, it was it was basically like Q and A with a bunch of uh, employees from the Sixers and just like it, all of uh, HBSC Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment, the umbrella company that owns like the Sixers Devils Prudential Center, all that stuff. So someone asked him like who is something about the most impressive player he's coached, and he shouted out Rondo. He said Rondo was probably the most unique guy I ever coached because even at such a young age, he was intellectually so far ahead of everyone from a basketball IQ standpoint. And he was the only uh, player he ever coached that his talent needed to catch up to where his mental acuity was. Ooh. And it's he's, he's like, every time it's the other way around. I've never coached a player where his ta- like his mind was so ahead of his, his talent. And, uh, you know, it finally caught up for him and was a big part of why they were so successful in Boston and why he was so successful in, now in L.A. So that's why another one of the reasons why I think it's uh, likely he could play forever. Um, moving on, moving on. That's enough about the Lakers. We're not going to we're not going to dwell on them for any longer. So 
Yeah, we probably won't talk about them much, right? Moving forward. <laughs> yeah, probably probably never again. They probably won't be like perennial finals contenders. Um, <laughs> so the Miami Heat, I mean, I don't know about you guys. Andrew said it best in our group chat where he just, you know, after Gorin, after Bam went down in game one, both of them, um, you kind of felt cheated, you know, because going into this series, I really felt like the Heat had a chance to not only, you know, push it, to late in the series, but actually win. Like, I really felt like they had a serious chance of winning. I felt like that was the team that was clicking on all cylinders better than anyone else in the league at that point, even the Lakers. So top to bottom, I thought they were deeper. I thought they were, everyone knew their jobs even better than the Lakers did. Jimmy Butler was obviously playing the best basketball of his life, going toe to toe with LeBron in a couple games in the finals. And, uh, he actually had what like whoever's keeping track of game score, whatever that is. Uh, Jimmy Butler had one of the, like the I think it was like the number three best performance in the NBA Finals, uh, statistically. Um, so I I feel disappointed. That's part of the reason why this season kind of like skidded towards the end. Um, but this is this is what happens in the finals. You have to have injury luck. It's it's what happened to the Warriors last year. Um, it's what happened to LeBron in 2015 when he was on the Cavs and the, you know, Cavs Warriors part one, when Kyrie goes down with the knee, love goes down with the shoulder. So it's not unprecedented. That's why there's no asterisks on all this stuff. Cause it happens all the time and there's nothing you can really do about it except you just take care of your body the best you can. But those were both kind of freak injuries for both those players. So my, I guess my first question to you guys is why, or do you think, the Heat had a chance to win this series if they were healthy throughout. And, uh, you know, why or why not? I feel like Pete, I, you got to go first. I was just going to say, way. I feel like I have to go first for two reasons. A, uh, just because I make you guys go first all the time and, and that I, I owe you that. But then two or A to two, A to B and B, I, I was out here on this podcast, on this very podcast, talking about Bam Adebayo saying what he can do to really mess this series up to make Anthony's Dave, Anthony Davis's life harder. And as we just said, with Anthony Davis's ridiculous shooting performance in the finals, that didn't happen. It just didn't happen. And whether that's Bam being injured, uh, Bam being outclassed, or a combination of both, I was out here saying Bam is going to make it hard and we're going to see a real series. And I, I did also mention how I don't think it's going to stop Anthony Davis. I'm still picking the Lakers, but I expected like a real battle there. And it's unfortunate that it didn't happen, but even in game one when Bam was healthy for, for most of it, there was a class the Lakers were reaching that the Heat needed to play the perfect game to reach. And the Lakers got there pretty consistently. And and that's why the Heat are now interesting to me moving forward because I don't know how many of us, if any of us, picked them to be a favorite to make it back to the finals in the East next year. And, and that's not saying they're not going to even get better. They can get better with Hero getting better, none, um, you know, Robinson and whatever they can do in the offseason, which they can do some things, they can get better and still not be good enough moving forward. But the momentum and the way they were playing and their culture made us feel a certain way that we expected great efforts and great comp- competitiveness with their games that we that we lost out on with the injuries. And then I think there was a point in the series where the Lakers and Heat, who the Heat wouldn't admit this, just realized, oh snap, we're we're not we're not there. We can't hang 
with that duo, and we can't hang with them, especially if their secondaries or their others are doing what they were doing. And that's almost not even trying to hate on the Heat. It's just saying that they're different classes. And I think that's okay, but uh, something that I was completely wrong on, I think, in the beginning. I think it would have taken the absolute perfection of a series for seven games. I'm saying even with great, great, great performances all around by the Heat, they only could have beaten the Lakers in seven. Like, it would have taken a whole run for me. And and that just wasn't going to happen. I don't think that was impossible, especially after the Pistons in 05 when everyone had the Lakers winning and then all of a sudden the Pistons win in five games. You know, so, you're, you're right. Maybe maybe if game one and two go a certain way, then it flips everything. But yeah, in my head, there was a competitiveness that I expected and hoped for that unfortunately just wasn't able to to hang around or be, be there yeah. consistently. Got to remember, game one, it was either Gorn or Bam that went down in the first quarter when they were up 13, and then all of a sudden, I feel like the series flipped, right? You got to remember that. So, um Kyle, what do you got? What do you think? He had a chance, yes or no? I thought that he had a chance, definitely. And I think most of us actually said Lakers in six, I'm pretty sure. So just a little vindication because I know uh, we all like that shit. Shout out. But yeah. shout out all of us. Except for so, me, I said seven. I said five. <laughs> you did say five? Oh, shit. Yeah. Maybe, so maybe. shout out you, Kyle. Shout out yourself. <laughs> so one of the things that I think um, kind of changed the way I thought about it might have been in the first five minutes. And I think we were all texting each other in the first five minutes. And I remember when they started the game, they put Bam on Dwight and they had Crowder on Anthony Davis. And I was like, this isn't going to last because he's going to, he's going to chew him alive. And the first 10 minutes he had like 20. And that's when I realized, like, all right, they're, they're, there's no way they can match up with them, at least at the big spot, because Crowder would now have to guard Dwight Howard. And now he's going to sprint on the floor after a block and seal him in the paint. That was one of the biggest things, I think, for me that changed my opinion. And also, unfortunately, the lack of production from Tyler Hero. I think that really hurt my you know their chances one of the things i i understand that hero he, he obviously a great scorer and i had a lot of respect for him earlier last playoffs but he he like didn't give them anything like not even like whoa, that's whoa, why whoa, I, whoa, I, whoa. I get... didn't he have 37 one game in the that was against boston. finals is that against Boston? He had 37 specifically against Boston. So if you're yeah, thinking Boston. about 37. Yeah, not in the, yeah, the final. At least for the, I'm just thinking about the finals. Cause that's, I was, that's who I was really kind of leaning on for him to ball out in the finals. Him, obviously, Robinson. Robinson had a few good games where he balled out, but Hero, like he didn't even give them energy on defense. Like I, that's why I kind of credit Caruso a decent amount. Like he, he obviously was not coming into the finals expecting him to drop 20 a game. We kind of expected Hero to get 15 to 20 a game. He didn't really give it to us. So, all right, that's not your thing. Whatever, dude, you're not playing well. Give us something. Give us some energy. Play some defense. Uh, get rebounds. Something. And obviously, Bam getting hurt didn't help. But I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like how Andrew did. And I was a little upset that we didn't get the finals that we would have wished for. 
because I think it would have been a little bit better, a more climactic uh, six game. But at the same time, I think that Lakers still would have won, you know, in six, but it just wouldn't have been as easy in that sixth game. You know, one of the, that, that fifth game, uh, a lot of people were saying, oh, well, this could, this could be the start. And I was just thinking like, dude, they, Jimmy Butler played 47 minutes. They all played their ass off. You know, most of them were pretty sore and did not get much time. Like you saw Jimmy Butler walking off the stage Limp- after their po- post-conference yeah. like an old man. Yeah. And they won by two. They only won by two with all that effort. And I was like, dude, how are they going to play the next day? Or, the, you know, in two days, they're going to be gassed. And kind of exactly what it was. Game six, it was just a complete blowout. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't really necessarily remember exactly what I said. I definitely picked the Lakers. Um I'm not sure the the Heat really had much of a chance, even at full health, to win the series. But I think each individual game would have been like that much closer, and you know that much more entertaining if they had been completely healthy. And obviously, we keep talking about Bam and Goron, more Bam. But I think actually, like mentality wise, and like the kind of toughness that the Heat displayed in this playoff series was like more embodied and maybe even kind of directed by Goron and Jimmy, not so much just Jimmy. And I do think we probably have to give Goron a little bit more love than we probably previously did, even though, again, we are, you know, showering them with love. And obviously it's easy to do that after a finals appearance. But um, I think he means just as much to the team culture and like that bad boy kind of attitude as Jimmy did. And the clips of him like trying to warm up before game three, four, and five to try and play and just like seeing how heartbroken he was, like not really not being able to bear the pain. Like it kind of sucked it out of me too. Like I, mm. I definitely echo all the sentiments we've been pushing here. Like it, it was tough. And I mean, I, I can even pivot another way. I, I saw some some stuff on Twitter, like people talking like, where does Jimmy rank in this class of players now? Like, is he better than any of them? And like after that finals performance, so easy to have recency bias. But like, I still think there's like a tier gap between a James Harden and a Jimmy Butler and a Kyrie Irving and a Jimmy Butler. But like the attitude and the effort and all that stuff, like, it matters more than people give it credit for. Mm. And that's why I was so enamored with the heat and why I was such a fan of them for this whole playoff run, because they proved like attitude and mentality can outweigh talent or analytics for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Or or just hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. But even just, just like the, the intangible, like just wanting it more. Like I, I talk about this sometimes too, uh, it definitely in baseball, specifically the Yankees versus the Rays. Like the Rays were playing desperate, where the Yankees were kind of like, you know, like above it. Like, no, we're going to the World Series. Mm. Like, we're going for a ring. This series doesn't matter. This is a stepping stone. We're like, the Rays are like, man, we're going to beat the Yankees or die. And that's kind of like a mentality I saw from the Heat. And I, 
super respect that because I feel like that's something everyday people can take away from. And I, I definitely consider myself an everyday person in that sense. Like, you know, so. Um, I wanted to, I want to just shout out you, Frank, for bringing up a point that I was saying to you guys in the chat all the time. And I totally forgot about, uh, about saying it here. Um, you just can't take plays off against the heat. You, you really just can't, you can't sleep on them in any moment because the, the the Celtics kept falling into that trap where it was like every 10th play, they just like weren't really paying attention. Then all of a sudden it's like a steal and a dunk or a wide open three for someone who like a Duncan Robinson, which he'll never miss those. Um, and that's why I feel like the heat, they really had a chance to win this series. Like I know I made fun of uh, Zach Lowe for saying, um, Rockets Lakers was a coin flip series and it wasn't even close. And I just felt like I was taking crazy pills. Cause I heard that from multiple people, um, in the, in basketball media and it just didn't make any sense to me. Um, but the heat were playing near perfect basketball, the entire playoffs. And yeah. I really think that this was the coin flip series mm. in the finals, because if these games are closer, who knows how the role players of the Lakers are going to react. Like, you know, LeBron's going to show up. I wasn't sure AD was going to show up. I wasn't sure anyone besides LeBron and Rondo were going to really show up in those moments. Uh, and we saw how Danny Green missed the shot for the for the win at the end of game five. And I'm Talk not about wide open. Like, yeah, look, guys miss shots. What can you, like you say it all the t- people say it all the time. It's a make or miss league. Uh, and I'm certainly not faulting LeBron for making that pass because I, I love how people are get like jumping down his throat for that and even though you know you can point to the Paxson shot for MJ or Steve Kerr same thing you know uh Ron Artest for uh Kobe in the I think it was the 2010 finals from the right wing I was you know, like stuff- Kobe passed me the ball yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly he's like oh I better make this <laughs> yeah so th- that you know if, the, if you got a problem with that pass this ain't the podcast for you um but I, I really feel like the Heat, this was the coin flip series, and I'm really impressed with, you know, moving forward. That's the next thing I want to talk about, moving forward um, for the Heat next season. You know, Pete, you said, are we going to consider them a, a finals contender? Um, you know, to that I say, yeah. Like, we're, we, I don't know about the favorite, but that's kind of the beautiful thing right now. In the East and the West, there really is no lock of a favorite. You know, no LeBron in the East, no Golden State going to crush everyone with KD in the West. Um, and I think Jimmy Butler in this series, you know, a lot, a lot of young guys, be it, you know, Zion, you know, Simmons and Embiid and Philly, Tatum and Boston, uh, you know, all these young guys that kind of get anointed as superstars before they really accomplish, you know, I won't say anything, but before they really kind of right. get over that hump and at least make it to the finals and really assert their dominance upon the rest of the league. Jimmy Butler did that this season. He he earned his superstardom after a lot of people in the basketball world turned their backs on him after what he did in Chicago, after what happened in Minnesota was a disaster. He got pushed out of Philly, which was a mistake. Um, but I really respect Jimmy for earning his superstardom the old-fashioned way. And I would consider them to be absolutely finals contenders next year, especially if they keep this core together. Um, obviously, you know, Bam, Duncan, Hero, they're all young guys that are going to be around. Jimmy's on long term. So if he comes back, and I think with 
I think he's going to have even more confidence seeing that, you know, I talked the talk for a lot of years, but, this, you know, I really walked the walk this year. And if it wasn't for a couple injuries, you know, things might have gone our way this season. And that's the mentality he has to bring into next year was I was I went toe to toe with LeBron in the finals. I was every bit as good as him, uh, you know, every bit as good as, you know, as someone you can, can be, be against yeah, LeBron, yeah, yeah. you know, like it's it's tough for, you know, like we saw KD outplay LeBron in the finals. Um, but it doesn't, it, it, I'm not saying Jimmy's quite at that level, but on any given night, he could be, you know, if he strings a bunch in a row, you only need four, right? You need four out of seven, you know, he's barely over 50% to really get over that hump and win a championship. So I, I'm looking at next year. I love the heat. I'm still going to be excited about the heat. There's a lot going on, you know, Brooklyn, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, you know, we'll see. It's going to be wide open in, in the East. And I even think the West, you know, it, it's going to, the finals are going to go through California. It's going to be, it's going to be the Clippers, the Lakers and the Warriors are right. the, the three clear favorites in the West to me. So I wouldn't be, sh- I wouldn't be shocked if we got a rematch next season is what I'm getting at. Uh, it's yeah. not, it's like, don't, don't think this was just a blip from the heat. And and the guy who st- comes to mind when you go on that little you know, discussion point on the heat is Bam Adebayo. Can he make, and, and, you know, hold your breath for a second here, can he make a Kawhi-level jump? And I mean this from a statistical standpoint, uh, from when Kawhi won his NBA Finals uh, MVP, the first one in San Antonio, to what he then became in the regular season. I'm not talking, I'm again, I'm going to clarify this now as I go. I'm not talking Bam's going to now become a 26-point-per-game uh, absolute dead eye mid range, clo- one of the top three closers in the league. In, in I'm talking about in Bam Adebayo's lane. Can he take this jump from? Oh, he just did it in the playoffs like that. Can he now do that every single night and go from the really nice, uh, what was he, seventeen, ten, and six guy this year to like a oh shit, he's twenty one, twelve, and seven as a big. Like I'm not talking. It's not you know apples to apples with Kawhi Leonard's jump, but the way Kawhi took that playoff momentum and then asserted himself that next season is like, oh, no, I do this all year, and I'm not just like this uh, great playoff performer. I am just freaking great. And, and and if Bam can really do that this season, then I'm going to say, okay, no, the Heat are not just a four seed who got hot. They are a true top seed contender who we're going to talk about all season long. So I, I, I agree with you, Duff. And I guess me saying, am I sure that I'm going to consider them a favorite? Probably still stands just because, you know, we have to see what KD and the Nets are going to look like. There uh, are no favorites. But, either but there's no favorites. There really right. But, no, but they're, they're, no they're there for sure. And it's a good point by you. I think one way to secure that the Heat will be back in the finals is for the Heat to get another big, honestly, to mm-hmm. get another big and possibly play more of the five. So Bam can play the four. What kind of big though? I because I I feel you, but like, is it the type of big that it's Daniel Tice style, where they're just kind of nice at everything and they're gonna not mess up and play good defense, or is it like no, a stretch? I think that's what stretch Bam does. Big. Like I, I think I think it might have to be potentially a traditional big. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because if if Bam is off the floor, right? When Bam comes off the floor. Who is replacing him at the big spot? Because I think that's one of the biggest problems that the Heat had against the Lakers was that when he came off the floor, they couldn't trust AD Myers cooked. Leonard. Yeah, AD cooked. 
Dwight Howard was cleaning up the glass. You know what I mean? I think if they can get another big that can potentially do some of this, you know what? I might, I might agree with you, Pete. And maybe do some of the similar things. I don't think they need a, you know, back to the basket type of dude. That's a, you know, like a everybody clears her out. And, correct. I think they could potentially have another athletic guy that can come off the bench and do kind of his same role. Because when he was off the floor, it was a big drop off. And I think that's just one thing that if they could pick up that could help him out, help Bam out so he's not playing 45 minutes a game or 40 minutes a game in crunch time in the playoffs, that's going to be huge for him. Playing off of 35 minutes compared to 45 minutes is a huge difference. Sounds like a job for like Rashawn Holmes. I feel like the person that comes to my mind when you say that, and it's not him currently, but what he was at one point, like a DeAndre Jordan type, like mm. somebody spell him on defense and just like, Oh, like, Oh, you know what? Guess, guess who might be a free agent. He actually might pick up his option, but Andre Drummond. How about that? I would, mm. That probably is Clint Capella a free agent. Nah. Or even Clint Capella, somebody, just somebody who can like rim run and spell him on defense occasionally so that he can, like obviously he's a phenomenal defender and you want him, you know, locked in defensively every single possession, but like, it's not really a hundred percent realistic. Like guys will need to, you know, take a possession or two off on defense if they want to maintain equality throughout the game. So if they have someone who could just spell him defensively, like, I think that would be huge. As a backup in the finals. And like, I'm sorry, but I, I think like, one of us might be able to get a bucket on Kelly Olynyk if yeah. you get lucky. Yeah, he he needs to be a four, right. a backup like a four, Olynyk. In a, in a series like that with AD and LeBron, he really can't be guarding anybody, but at least he's that good on offense for stretches. But yeah, mm-hmm. I feel Bismack Biombo coming off the books for Charlotte, eighteen million a year. I don't think he's going to get eighteen million again. That could wow. be a guy, you know. You never Bro, know. I don't even remember what that guy's game is like. And he's been in Charlotte playing like four right. years. Elbow jumper. <laughs> rebounds that's hilarious but i mean yeah we'll see man by the There's... way clint capella not a free agent yeah, he has like and i'm gonna years. go ahead and report uh right now that andre drummond is gonna pick up that player option i think he already said that he's gonna it's th- what is it 35 or some shit 25 anyway stupid money it's way too much for him yeah anyway i mean i think that's good on the heat right so it really yeah. now see what do they do in the offseason and then are they going to keep that same energy? And it sounds like they will. So one more thing real quick before we move to our next topic, which will be our last topic. I am just kind of curious how you guys feel about it. And this is probably more me being a a media nerd of sorts and, you know, curious what the top podcasts are going to talk about and what is first take talking about and what is Colin Cowherd's talking points. I'm just, I just, I, I, I am kind of interested by what the big mainstream media talking points are because as much as some people will say, oh, first take sucks nowadays, like uh, the herd is all hot takes, whatever. I mean, Max Kellerman is trash. So. Right, yeah, so exactly. Like a lot of people feel that sentiment, especially people probably who we talk to the most and people who listen to this podcast probably talk to the most, but it really does drive conversation as much as we like it or not. So I'm curious, how have you guys felt about the post-finals you know, coverage and conversations and talking points with LeBron's legacy stuff and the Jordan stuff and Jimmy Butler uh, or, or is it annoying? Do you think it's the place it should be taken to? Are you sick of LeBron MJ, or do you just accept it as, you know, that's the only thing left to talk about with LeBron? 
I think it's just kind of obligatory obligatory segments. Right. Like, does anyone? It, it's it's like politics now, where if someone's like I'm a Republican and I'm, or someone else is like I'm a Democrat, and then those two people will never see eye to eye on anything, yep. and neither one of them is gonna budge on any point because right. it's so polarizing. I feel like that's what it's become, and that's why I have no interest in the discussion for LeBron versus MJ because it, it just why it, it's impossible to compare between eras because sports, basketball, and I would say football specifically are so different decade to decade that it's, it's really, it's really impossible to try and compare those eras, you know, except I would say actually one decade to decade that was pretty similar. It was like nineties to two thousands, but you know, you're talking about LeBron has been most dominant from 2010 to 2020. And the game now is it's like an, almost not even the same sport as it was when LeBron or uh, when Jordan was at his peak in the nineties. So right, it's not even it, the same as when LeBron was at his peak in 2010. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Same thing with football. Like it's, it's a different yeah. game. It's a different game. So trying to compare them, I, I, I actually, I love that point that you made up. It's like, it's almost, it's like politics at this point because each side has some like pretty inarguable, number or stat or they're gonna tow the party line they're gonna keep talking about the same points and and it just it it just happens to be like what matters more to each individual like right you know like and and i will say the one thing that i do that i do give credence to i guess is the three p like that's a little different but like you don't see that in any sport anymore the last time we saw three p was was Kobe and the Lakers. I haven't seen it in 20 any years ago. Yeah. Like and, it's, and that, it's that was coupled with the Yankees three P. Yeah. So like, I don't know. It, it's, it's like, I don't know. I, I don't even, I don't want to say what I want to say because it'll probably just sound dumb, but I'm sick of, it. I'm, I'm sick of the LeBron. It's never stopped you before, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I, I'll feel you though, Frank. It's like, cause I watch these shows too. And especially now that I'm working from home, I just have like the TV on. Right. So even if I'm not paying attention, I I have on one of these shows usually at at a certain point in the day. And there's a certain moment of the day. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm just going to hit mute. I'm going to turn on a a specific football podcast where they're breaking down some like in-depth shit. Cause I, I already heard this. This is, it's, it's, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Now I already heard this conversation four times. So I'm, I'm, it's over. So I, I'm just kind of curious, like, so you guys don't really intake a lot of those shows at this point in life, or you're you're looking out for more specific stuff. I do. I'm the same. I'm the same way as you, where I just kind of tune it out. Like I was watching the herd today, yeah, and same. I was eating lunch, and he was talking to Nick Wright about LeBron versus MJ, and I just turned the channel. I just changed it because I was like. I don't care. You're, like neither one of you guys is going to say anything that I don't already know. Right. And it's not going to, it's, no. it's not going to like sway my opinion. Cause like, I really, like I genuinely don't care about this argument because I, I think the best way to put it is like, you know, who is the best play? Who's had the best career? I'm going to say LeBron, who's the, who was like the greatest player who had the greatest peak. It's Jordan. So, so it's now just now like, we're having a conversation. But like, but, but my point is like, you can, it, it, my point is your point is that you can, you can just be whatever you find value in. That's what you can, that's what each individual person can decide is what makes them the best player of all time. But really, I, I just like, I, I know it sounds corny, but like, just appreciate both of them. 
Oh, appreciate yeah. all of yeah, them. Appreciate sure. Magic Johnson. Appreciate Larry Bird. Appreciate MJ, Tim Duncan, Shaq, Kawhi. Like appreciate all these guys. Yo, Kobe, dude, you didn't say they Kareem, all do bro. something totally heck? different, and it's and it's all <laughs> what makes basketball beautiful is that you can have this this type of individual influence on each era and and each season. Yeah. No, you're right, Duff. Because how how many how many sports can say that they have two guys in their sport that are transcendent worldwide, like LeBron and Michael Jordan? You know, not many sports can really say that. And 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 also in the past twenty five years, you know, I think that's really really it's important. Basketball to... and Football. soccer. No, it's no transcendent like worldwide. Right. Yeah, I mean, I would say Tom Brady and like. No. You don't think don't so? Play. No, I don't. I don't know if it's. I don't know. I don't know if it's like. And obviously, I'm a I'm a big football guy, but the way I see it is just that Tom Brady is not in China selling Under Armour cleats. You know, Kevin Durant had a had a basketball camp with a million people at it in India. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Literally one million. million I just I just think that the NBA is so big now, and not and in America. NFL is still ridiculous. I I saw one thing they were talking about viewership for the finals for the for game six compared to the Monday night game with the Seahawks and the Vikings. And it was say the Seahawks Vikings game got 17 million and the Lakers game got six million. And people were kind of making the argument that oh it's NFL still rules. Over NBA in this country, it that probably is true. Hundred percent. But worldwide, 100%. worldwide, like no one is watching the Seahawks and the Vikings. Chinese, you know, the uh, China just put Game Six on for the first time all year, and that was that made that made ESPN news. When would you ever hear the Seahawks Vikings game was turned on in India for the first time in twenty years? We we don't talk about that because only people in the world that really care about NFL football is people in America. So that's kind of my point. I just think that LeBron and Jordan or a guy like you see Marbury, Marbury is not even to us. He's really not that big of a deal. He's, he's obviously a, a was, had a great career and everything, but in multiple countries in China, obviously he's a God for us. You know, for for football players, they can't do that. You know, I just think that they played the right sport, and the sport grew because of Jordan. And now LeBron stepped in, and pretty much took it to the next level. Shout out, shout out the Beijing Ducks, by the way. Um, all right, that's that's enough on LeBron, MJ. God damn you, Pete, for even I, I, you making know, us talk about that. I didn't. I, <laughs> no, I, no, no. The way you came at it, I I I respect. Um, thank you. The last thing we're gonna wrap up with here, <laughs> just real quick, because the coaching carousel in the NBA is still going around, and there's actually five job openings, still, uh, still in the NBA. Um, and free agency doesn't start until like maybe December. Drafts not for a little while, so. This is kind of this is kind of all we got in terms of content for the NBA for the time being. So what I want to do real quick with you guys is just go through the available jobs and the coaches that have been mentioned or linked to any one of these jobs or just kind of mentioned in the in the narrative at all. Uh, and I'm going to go through the available teams first and then coaches and then this is how I would rank them. This is how I would consider them to be like even in terms of like most attractive job or most sought after coach. So for teams first. You got the Clippers. I don't think anyone would have any objections to that. 
Nope. The second job opening I would have at number two is the Pelicans. Um, third is the Thunder. Fourth, the Rockets. And fifth, the Pacers. Does anybody object to that ranking? No. All right. Nope. All right, coaches, here's where it could get a little more interesting. Um, number one, I got Mike D'Antoni. Number two, I got Kenny Atkinson. Number three is Nate McMillan. Number four is Jeff Van Gundy. Number five is Stan Van Gundy. Number six is Dave Yeager. And number seven is Brett Brown. And I was hesitant to even put him on this list. Yeah, I'd take him um, off the list. I have an objection. Take Brett Brown off the list. There's 0% chance well, he gets a head coaching here's job. Well, here's the thing. Is, there's only uh, five. I should have just taken him off. You know what? Forget about Brett Brown. He's off the list because he's <laughs> not going to be on any one of these five <laughs> openings anyway. He had seven coaches for five jobs. I'd rather right? you, I'd rather you put Mark Jackson on the list. You, wait, you forgot one, by the way. Did you say Ty Lue? I did not say Ty Come Lue, on, but dog. Is, is he, but wait, is he like out there, though? Because I heard yeah. he's looking for like, he, like he fat just, stacks of cash. He and just no one is interviewed. like the front, front candidate for the Rockets yep. job, I heard. Yeah, Ty Lue met with the Rockets from when this podcast came out uh, two days ago, and Van Gundy met one day ago, Jeff Van Gundy. Uh, but so Ty Lue in- and Jeff Van Gundy are in lockstep, but Ty Lue might be apparently the slight edge guy to get the Rockets job right now. Okay. Okay. My bad for that. All right. So Ty Lue. No, he's either one or two on this. I'm list. putting, where, him, where I'm putting put him at one and uh, we'll talk about it, but I have some takes about you having D'Antoni that high. I respect it. I don't know if I would have done something different, but there's a take to be had um, to just say why he shouldn't be looked at like that. I think in that list of coaches, he, to me, seemed to be the one who is most in touch with the current NBA and also has kind of the most prestige attached yeah. to his name. It, yeah. So that's it, where I was coming at it. That is, angle. is Sam Cassell getting a look right now? I feel like I heard his name a little bit, but I don't think so. so per this Q&A that I was in with Doc Rivers, my close personal friend, <laughs> uh, he mentioned that he was trying to bring Sam Cassell over from the Clippers. So oh, we'll nice. Good that. snag for Philly if they get him. Okay. All right. So, yeah. so, so those are your rankings. I'm, I like that. All right. So uh, Tyler, slip them in one or two, but yeah. let's, let's, uh, let's get to the interesting part here where you got to start matching coaches mm. to teams. And I got the list here in front of me. So number one, let's go, let's go in descending order. So let's start with number one, the Clippers, which coach do we think would match best with the Clippers? I think this is a pretty clear answer. So Kyle, I'll go to you first. What do you think here? I'm going with Stan Van Gundy to the Clippers. I think he's going to hold these guys accountable. He's going to be a change of pace from Doc Rivers as a player coach. And definitely just a move. I think he's a move for the Clippers. I'm going to go to Frank. I'm going to go with Nate McMillan. Um, They got a good defensive core. And Nate McMillan runs a tight ship on defense. I think it's a match made in heaven. Uh, Pete, what do you say? I mean, Duffy said it was an easy answer. It's Ty Lue. Ty Lue's the guy for the Clippers. He's there. He's going to be uh, a guy who cares about accountability. And I just don't see the Clippers going on a limb with Stan Van Gundy or a, a, a less you know sexy name like Nate McMillan. Duffy, back to you. I agree. It's Ty Lue. He's been with the team for a season. He's won a championship. He's obviously got the approval of LeBron James, massive superstar. So... For me, it's Ty Lowe. All right, next, 
Number two, we got the Pelicans. Now, I have them listed at number two because I think with their young core, so much talent, and this job for a coach is going to be really attractive because you think longevity. You think longevity. I, if I get this job, I got four years to prove myself, you know? So, Pete, we're going to go right back to you. Who you got for the Pels? Oh, man. The Pelicans is a tough one because do you want to go young with the core or do you want to go experience? I'm taking Kyle's angle for the Clippers and putting on the Pelicans. Give me Stan Van Gundy with New Orleans. Build a fucking wall with Zion. I don't know. Stan Van Gundy loves building a wall on defense. Go do it in New Orleans. Uh, I love Stan Van Gundy's resurrection as like a play-by, I mean, an analyst. I think he brings great knowledge and uh, better modern-day coaching than people give him credit for. SVG to New Orleans. Frank. I couldn't agree more. I think SVG to New Orleans is the easiest answer for any of the teams on this list. Um, we see what he was able to do with the dominant big when he was uh, with Orlando and Dwight Howard. I think he can do something similar or something very creative with Zion. And to Dust point, like this is potentially a longevity job. We've been without Stan Van Gundy uh, on the sideline for too long. So give me five years of Van Gundy, baby. Uh, Kyle, what do you think? I'm going to go with Jeff Van Gundy here. Oh, experienced guy. He's a little fiery. There's, he's got some young guys with the Pelicans. I think he's going to be a good coach to kind of start off with Zion and that rest of that young crew with, with some mixed-in veterans with uh, J.J. Redick as well. Um, Duff, what do you think? I'm going Mike D'Antoni. Mm. I think he's got a, a lot of um, – offensive firepower this team it's got a lot of potential and if you give just hand Lonzo Ball the car keys and let's see what he can uh, see what he can make happen uh, next up we got the Thunder this team has got a ton of it's got some some young talent a ton of potential talent and future draft assets uh, and potential moves to make for a veteran maybe just keep the picks and just ride out with those uh, like 2025 Clipper picks that are probably going to be in the lottery um, so who who you got for this one, Frank? So this is going to be my Ty Lue. Uh Obviously, there was some good progression made between Jay Gilgis and Ty Lue when he was an assistant coach for the Clippers. I think um, I would like to see that progression continue to grow, and I know that's somebody who obviously gets across it. I guess he's uh, the wild card here. I think he's the most important piece they have down there in Oklahoma City, so... Um, I'd be I'd be trying to hammer his production as hard as I could, so I'm gonna go Ty Lu to the Thunder. Kyle, what do you think? To the Thunder, I'm gonna go with Atkinson here. Oh. Kenny Atkinson. And the reason why I think he's done a lot with not a lot. Does that make sense? Am I am I saying that correctly? He's done a lot with not a too much of a talented roster, and I think he could possibly make that same magic happen with the Thunder since they're you know they're they have some young guys coming up they have Chris Paul they have uh my man Steven Adams but I think he he's the guy that can possibly take them to the next level and possibly get them to the, pass the first round uh Petey what do you think for the Thunder so I'm Pete but I'm gonna keep it frank with you I had no idea where I was gonna go on this one but Kenny Atkinson is the right call Kyle 100% I think whether Chris Paul is there or not, Dennis Schroeder would have been the only guy I'd worry about his vibe with Atkinson. 
But after what Schroeder showed this year and the maturity and the commitment to winning, he, you know, it was incredible. I think that's a perfect vibe. Not a lot of ego there. Love it. Duff. I got Stan Van Gundy for this one. I think he, he's a guy who can go to Oklahoma City, kind of stay a little bit under the radar, and uh, really kind of buy in if he gets, you know, CP3 behind him. Sky's the limit with that team in terms of, you know, growth and potential for the future. Um, and I think he's kind of the right dude you might have to really uh, right your ship and get, get your team to kind of stay the course, as it were. You know, they, they really overachieved this year. I think they, they have the potential to keep overachieving, maybe not championship, but still staying highly competitive. Uh, next up, we got the Rockets. And, Pete, we're going right back to you for this one. Man, this is tough. I think uh, Ty Lue is also a good spot here. But I think it's got to be Jeff Van Gundy. He has the, obviously, the experience in Houston, but he also has, like, the personality to give them more of a character, whereas their character right now is kind of hateable with uh, just James Harden and, you know, the lack of success. Uh, so I think it's a good character that people are going to start rooting for to get the Rockets likable again. And uh, that's my pick. And as I throw it, I will also say, we only got two songs queued up on the board. We're going to hit the same one again. It don't matter. And <laughs> Kyle, back to you as we started again with this with this music. For the Rockets, I'm going to take Ty Lue. I think Ty Lue is going to be the guy that can, again, like you said, you mentioned before, Duff, for Ty Lue, a guy that has worked with prominent all-stars and superstars in the league. And I think he's going to be that fit for Harden. And I think he's going to be able to balance him and Westbrook as he did with him and Kyrie earlier in his career with the Cavs. I think that's going to be his, uh, you know, it'll be a good fit in my opinion. Duff, what do you think? So I would love to put Mike D'Antoni here, but obviously can't do that. (laughs) So I think think the next best choice, I think JVG would really just quit in the middle of the season if he had to watch James Harden play night after night. Uh, so I think Kenny Atkinson, I think he's that right balance of old school and new school. Really still, you know, he's a coach. He holds people accountable. He's more disciplined about how he likes to run things, but he still plays that new school offense. Still likes to be in that modern game. So I think that would be the proper balance for a couple guys like Harden and Westbrook. Uh, Frank, what do you got? I'm going to go with Dave Yeager. Um, and I know it's kind of weird, but... I think over the course of his coaching career, kind of like what Kyle said about Kenny Atkinson, we've seen him do a lot with a little, but we've never really gotten a chance to see him, you know, do something with a lot. I think it'd be interesting. And to your to your point about Jeff Van Gundy, like quitting halfway through, I think Dave Yeager is kind of in a position where he can't not take the shit from Harden and Westbrook. Like he's not that big of a name. So it'll kind of benefit them in that aspect because they have to keep those two guys happy if they really want to do anything. So give me Dave Yeager. Let's see what he's actually got. I, I, I kind of love that pick, the way you justified it there. That was, that was pretty good. That was pretty good right yeah. there, Frank. Kudos. Yeah. All right, we got the last team up here. We got the Pacers. I, I'm going to make the executive decision to go first on this one. It's got to be Jeff Van Gundy. It has to be. I can't, like, that just makes more and more sense as this list was going on. Really? It just became so clear to me. Absolutely. Like, all that guy wants people to do is play basketball the right way, play smart, work hard. Like, to me, that just, that is the the embodiment 
of Indiana basketball. So, you know, it can't, you know, ideally, who do I want it to be? Nate McMillan. But again, <laughs> yeah. for, you know, see Mike D'Antoni in my Rockets, my Rockets pick. So you can't go back to him on that one. Even after that bad extension they gave him like a week before they fired him. <laughs> uh, so, Petey. Petey, let's go with you. Who you got for the Pacers since you're so shocked by my JVG pick? I just, it's not a, a, a vibe I, I feel. It's not something that feels in my soul, my right. I don't know. I it's just he wasn't I, born and raised in Indiana. It's a good had. point, though. I like how you justified it as well, but I have a different pick here. And I also want to mention, just because it needs to be mentioned twice, Nate McMillan should just get his firing revoked and be the coach. He did a great freaking job. Don't get it. Anyway. Yeah, uh, I don't know what they expect. Where's, where's Marshall? The, the college, the university. West Virginia. West Virginia. West Virginia. Damn it. Because I know uh, D'Antoni's a West Virginia guy. And for a second, I was like, wait, is Marshall in Indiana? His no. brother coaches Marshall. Right. But they're like, I think that's a, that's like a Marshall family, if, you, if I'm not mistaken. I think D'Antoni's the guy in Indiana. Uh, he needs a little bit less of a, of a shine on him right now, I think, just to kind of get back to whatever... He needs back to, to his roots. back to his roots and and just kind of like re regroup a little bit and tweak a little bit and he doesn't have James Harden anymore to see how he can actually get back into D'Antoni's system because everybody's been talking about D'Antoni this offensive guy, but the past two years it hasn't been true D'Antoni. It's been Harden plus Mori Ball, and, and that's okay. It worked to an extent. I want to see a team like the Pacers, an organization like the Pacers, with a, a the possible offensive prowess of D'Antoni's system with guys who are going to actually do it rather than just be themselves. Oh, not that they shouldn't be. The, you know what I'm saying? Honestly, D'Antoni's best attribute is letting guys be themselves. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling now. D'Antoni, Pacers, makes sense for me. Are you passing it to you, bro? Oh, damn. See, no, no music, and I'm all sorts of thrown off here. Kyle, you're up. Freaking black hole PD over here. Pacers, I think uh, Jaeger should get this job. And the only reason why I say that is because I don't think – I actually wrote down D'Antoni wouldn't be a good fit. I really? just don't think he would. Yeah, I, just, I don't know. I just think with his system, who the hell is shooting a three on the Pacers now? Especially with Old Debo gone. That's the only reason why I say that. But Jaeger, was my t- he was my number two for this team. Yeah, I think I think Jaeger is a guy that just had a lot of success with this with the Kings. Another guy that shouldn't have been fired. And you know, kind of this kind of a similar roster in a way, without De'Aaron Fox, obviously. But I think. Kind of a similar roster, and I think he would be able to work off of that past past experiences and uh, take that over to Indiana. I'm going to go to Frank. What do you think? This was a hard one for me. Um, uh, obviously, I echo the same sentiment. I really don't understand the firing. Um, and somebody who kicked off the list, but I, honestly, I view two of these coaches are like very adjacent, almost equals. Uh, Brett Brown, Kenny Atkinson, phenomenal like player development maybe lacking a little bit on the side of um, X's and O's, but I think there's still a lot of individual like progress to be made for some of these players on the Pacers, specifically Sabonis. And I'm not sure if they are retaining TJ Warren moving through this year, but obviously he showed something that we haven't really, I mean, he showed flashes of, but not what he did in the bubble. So I think if you can get a guy who can keep, pushing that progression, keep pushing that player development, like they can be in a really good spot. Uh, you know, with, they're going Atkinson, not year. Brett Brown, just to be clear. Either or, because honestly, they're equal <laughs> in my opinion. Well, like, no, I, I don't, get, I don't get Come on. I don't think so. He achieved, he achieved more with less talent. Not more, but he, he, 
his degree of difficulty was higher. Well, you, you can just argue that Embiid and Simmons not originally haven't though. really like, gotten better. Originally, dude, the Sixers were abysmal when Brett Brown oh, got yeah, there. Yeah, So and and, and see, Brett Brown's been there for much longer than Kenny Atkinson was in uh, Brooklyn. So right. uh, again, I I don't agree with the sentiment that he's necessarily a much better coach than Brett Brown. I think they do the same things very well. So. Take my uh, word on it, Frank. I watched a lot of Sixers games. <laughs> yeah, and I've watched a lot of Nets games. And you know what their problem so was I. too? I've never seen an ATO work for them either. So mm. that's all I'm trying to say. I think it's interchangeable, but they still need to keep going with player development, especially if you're going to go away from a guy like Nate McMillan who who had success. Was ma- he was maximizing talent at that point. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. If you don't if you don't think that's what it is, then you have to, you know, continue to push your your um potential threshold further and further. And I think Kenny Atkinson gives you an opportunity to do that. I think uh, we can all agree that our number one coaching wish for next season is that both the Van Gundy brothers are, back, are, are coaching somewhere in the National Basketball Association. Yeah. Agreed. Because that would just be supreme Electric. entertainment. Yeah. Uh all right, that's a wrap. That's a wrap on coaches. Good stuff. And uh, that was fun. And teams who who need a coach. So and we only reused the uh, that one song once. I feel like that's not bad. I, I for a moment I was like, am I about to play these songs like twice each? I, we already committed to the music. Now we can't go back. And uh, nah, it worked out fine. That was good stuff. That's a production decision that you're you're gonna have to make on the fly. <laughs> and you that, know what I think that nobody right cares one. about, but I just said it anyway. You know, okay. Yeah, uh, it's a little inside baseball for you. Um, <laughs> So that's that's pretty much a wrap for us. Let's move on to last words. I'm sure everyone forgot about it after the lightning round of coaches. So I'm not going to go to you first, Frank, even though I should, because I know you forgot about it. No, you can. I think. I'm <laughs> oh, actually, you ready? Yeah, I think I'm actually. All right, let's go. All right. Um. So we obviously, I know we all here heard parts, at least parts of the Jared Dudley interview. And specifically the part where he's mentioning how like the they picked up that the Clippers are mentally checked out of the bubble and how he wasn't trying to fault them because the bubble was like really crazy and and new. But like, again, man, that really like detracts from what the idea of Kawhi that I had. So like to to double down on him being the leader of a team that blows a 3-1 team, uh, 3-1 lead to a team that they're probably better than and like overall. Um, to me, this really hurts his, his character, in my opinion. And I feel like we, we gave him like the credit, like, oh, he's, he does load management because he's playing for titles. He's playing for this and that, but you couldn't get up in the bubble. Like, I don't know. The bubble was the opportunity to, I think, cement yourself. I think this is kind of like what we were saying earlier about LeBron. People are trying to poo poo it or whatever, but like, I think given the adversity everybody faced, like this was just as hard a title as any of the ones we've seen in years past. So uh, really disappointed in Kawhi. Uh, He was like fast tracking to being one of my favorite players in the NBA. And like, man, he has fallen off really fast because of a few, a few dumb things in my opinion. Like, so that's Frank. That's Frank's uh, Draymond Green Memorial life comes at you fast award. Oh yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Good time. Good time. What a throwback. Yes. I had one of those. I had one of those lined up for myself. So actually, you know, I'm going to dovetail right off here. My, my, my uh, Draymond Green Memorial Life Comes A Fast Award is going to go to uh, fans of the Orlando Magic 
the Houston Rockets, the Atlanta Hawks, the Charlotte Hornets, and the Washington Wizards, who all believe that Dwight Howard could lead them to a championship <laughs> or at least make them competitive. Because guess what? He finally got his championship with the Lakers. So for all the bad things you said about him, including myself, that I still pretty much believe wholeheartedly, <laughs> Dwight Howard is an NBA champion. For better or worse, that's a real thing that happens. So for everyone who doubted him, man, life comes at you fast. <laughs> that was great. I, I had no idea where you were going when you rattled off all those teams. I was like, what are those teams? I was, so like, ridiculous. I was thinking about the draft. I was like, oh, most of those teams are like in the lottery. Maybe they got bad. I almost threw in, I almost threw in uh, <laughs> Lakers fans from a decade ago. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Kobe and Nash. Oh my gosh. What, what a time to be Dwight Howard, I guess. In the world of being Dwight Howard, this is probably top two. I don't know. He might've still enjoyed being like the man on that magic team. Maybe. I don't know what, who, who knows? Jared nah, Dudley. got to be number one. Jared Dudley talking about him getting invited being to a freaking weirdo did you say, that was did you hilarious Jared Dudley, 24 snakes and then going he wanted to go to six flags in san antonio so he could like do some crazy skydive thing it's like whoa dwight howard bro who knew who knew life's always Everyone. been coming i could have guessed fast. you're like who owns well, actually, 24 yeah. snakes in the nba i would have been like dwight howard obviously <laughs> <laughs> or adams also would have been up there I would have went like Kent Bazemore or something. Some mm. guy you like never heard say a word. Cause I feel like snake people don't talk, but yeah, let's move. Let's don't, move don't, don't shade Bazemore <laughs> yeah, like that. On. He had a podcast. Uh, also Steven Adams, all his snakes would just live out of cages. Like they would all just live in his house regular as hell. hundred percent. The free, free range <laughs> snakes. That'd be crazy. Uh, oh yeah. Duff continue. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Kyle, Kyle, last words we got. All right. First game this Friday against my old school, Woodbridge High School. Mm. Scott Raiders versus Woodbridge. Shit, I'm already caught now. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be tough. I'm not gonna lie. Woodbridge is 15th in the state. Uh, we are not. We had two games last week that were canceled because of covid Oof. so we we technically have not played our first game yet and this is now this is our opener they had one game last week that was their first so it's gonna be a tough task but i uh i think our boys you know hopefully we're up for the task you know hopefully we can get it done also want to shout out to uh titty city and the kid down the street the name of our house from college vic nick connor sean Bass was good, and our boy Mitch Miller, all guys who listen to the pod decent amount, just want to say shout out. Those are my boys. Hell yeah, that is all. Shout out, appreciation, appreciation. Yeah, that's good stuff. And also, Nick is my roommate, and uh, yeah, he's not here. Haven't haven't seen him. Actually, not. He was here last week, but I hadn't seen him in months before that. Crazy. My roommate. Anyways. Yeah, dude's never at your place. <laughs> now he's coming back, though. Shout out to him. And he's whipping up some cool stuff for SST. So double shout out to Nick. He's whipping up hey. some stuff for some possible shirts or whatnot. Uh, hey. I, I guess that leaves me on my last oh, words. True. Logo, man. Yeah, yo, Nick's hooking it up. But anyways, my last words, I have two. And Kyle, you reminded me. This is a shout out to my boy Mule. Also big listener and was pissed that when I went on my Dolphins point the other day that I didn't give him a, a little nod there. So this is my nod to you from after Kyle just reminded me. Uh, but my actual last words are about um, an unfortunate, unfortunate experience today. Duffy and I were almost, for the first time in, I don't even know, Duff, 
a year, a full year and a half, maybe we're going to record a podcast in person together and not on zoom. And unfortunately my puppy was not mature enough for the puppy play date to last for a full podcast. We had to, you know, separate and you had to go back home, but we almost had it back to where it all started. Duff us in the actual same room would have been great. So close. We might have been for the fans out there, you know, but this is like, I, I'm so used to talking to you guys on Discord, which is what we use, or Zoom, or whatever, that it feels like we're in the same room anyway. This is fantastic. Yet yeah, it again, might have been weird if we did a live. I know. I wouldn't even know. I would have been looking. I would have had a, a kink in my neck by looking over here. I'm so not used to it. I'm looking <laughs> straight. <laughs> but I think that's it, man. I think we could wrap there, right? This is great stuff. As always, fellas, NBA season. Actually, we'll do a little extra here because it is the end of the NBA season. I will also say this. I should have used this as my last words. Off-season NBA podcast, arguably better than in-season NBA podcast? Think about it. And something to be excited for as we get closer to the draft and free agency, as football is still hot, and obviously we're going to be hammering that every week pretty much. We'll touch on maybe a little baseball something or other for for the World Series. Uh, But the basketball in the off-season, that's a special time to listen to podcasts right there. Uh, So we'll be back, and we're going to keep going. Shout-out to Duffy, Kyle, Frank, Duffy, Frank, and I have been doing this for, uh, what, two or three years now? How, how long have we been doing this, guys? Three like years. Three. three years. Kyle joined this year. Didn't miss a beat. Felt like he's been doing it with us for, for the whole time. Uh, always shout out to Bab. <laughs> RIP. RIP. <laughs> Not dead. Just living somewhere, like, in the woods. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but this is great. I have great fun talking to you guys about hoops all year long. Shout out to Andrew as well. And anyone who listened to basketball podcast this whole season in the bubble you know as recent as two weeks ago shout out to y'all uh we do this because we love to do it and if you guys get any enjoyment of it you know that just means even more to us so thank you for for tuning in and tell your friends subscribe i don't do that stuff it's nice and we appreciate when we hear from you hell yeah i don't know if anyone has to, anything to add from that but if not we can if say you're goodbye. still here i love you <laughs> <laughs> that's right and that's it man subway sports talk NBA Outsiders, that's how we do it. Have a great day. We'll be back with more basketball and obviously football week in, week out. Cheers. Cheers.